0: Or shop, talking and gossiping about this prophet, right? this, um, this one who is wild, <laughs> unlike anyone that anyone has ever seen in recent history at least, because this prophet, people are saying, this prophet reminds them ...of the prophets from ancient times. Prophets like Elijah or Elisha. And so, imagine that you pack up your meager belongings... ...you close up shop for the day, you push the sheep into the pen whatever it may be, and you gather together a few provisions for the day and you make the journey out towards the Jordan River. Not an easy journey. It's it's rocky and it's hilly. It's hot. But you make the trip and now all of a sudden you find yourself standing with your feet in the the cool water of the Jordan River as it's running past and now you are hearing this prophet cry out in the wilderness. This prophet is not like the prophets or the so-called prophets that you've heard before. His, His message is a message of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's calling both shepherds and bakers and farmers and soldiers to lay down their life of self-centeredness and align their life with the good law of God. And his voice is unlike anyone's ever heard before. He doesn't look like anyone that you've ever seen before. And his message is compelling. And there are people around you who are stepping out and wading out into the waters. And John is baptizing them. A mark of their repentance and turning to the law of God. Turning towards an alignment with God's kingdom. And here you are, standing with your feet just in the water, wondering, do I go forward as well? But you're frightened, you're fearful. Why? Because although you're trying to remember something from so long ago in another place in the world, in another culture, people all over the world are the same. We, we're frightened because we know that we've tried this before and it's failed. I've tried to do the right thing before and I failed. I really want to live according to God's law, but I failed. Will this just be another failure? And as you turn away, fearful of your failure, fully aware of your own failings and your own shortcomings. And you start to turn away from the water. You start to turn away from John's voice. And in mid-sentence, John stops speaking. And it's just quiet. It's just the sound of water over stone and your breath and silence. And then all of a sudden, you hear louder than you've heard before louder than you've heard John speak before with more commanding authority than you've ever heard him speak before he says look behold the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world all right so who's he talking about you you're looking you're wondering and John's pointing A moment ago, he was asking people to come, and now he's pointing somewhere else, and he says, Behold the Lamb. Now, that statement that John makes, found in John chapter 1, tells us two things. If you know that passage or you've heard it before, you will be aware John is pointing to Jesus, right? Jesus has been traveling. He comes down to the Jordan River where John the Baptizer, John the Baptist, is ministering amongst the people. And when John sees him, he tells the crowd, Behold the Lamb. That statement says two things. Firstly, Jesus is the Lamb of God. It's the first thing that should tell us. Jesus is the Lamb of God. The second is this. A Lamb in the Bible, specifically when we start talking about the Lamb of God, tells us about sacrifice. And so John is saying, Jesus is the sacrifice of God. And that sacrifice will take away the sin of the world. Behold the Lamb. We should rightly see this as being very good news. Such good news, in fact, we would say it is the Gospel, right? It is the heart of the Gospel. God sends His Son as a Lamb, a sacrifice for sin, to take away the sin of the world. That's good news, But in the storyline of the Bible, the storyline of God's character, the Old Testament, the story of redemption between creation and recreation, as we follow the arc of the Bible, this actually creates a significant problem that has to be overcome. In fact, it creates two problems, at least, that we need to grapple with this morning. That Jesus is the Lamb of God, and John says, who will take away the sin of the world, take away. Here's problem number one. The first problem is that we must grapple with God's justice. God is just. The nature and character of God means that Taking away sin, that phrase, taking away sin, isn't as simple as you might think. God's justice, God's righteousness demands, he demands of himself by his very nature. That sin cannot simply be overlooked. I want you to think of these verses from Deuteronomy 32. In fact, grab your Bibles, you can turn to them. Really early in your Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 3 and 4 say this I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible For I will proclaim the Lord's name, declare the greatness of our God, the rock of His work is perfect. All His ways are just. A faithful God. Without bias, He is righteous and true. That is the nature of God. And we should be grateful for that. But because God is righteous and just, because God has no bias, he simply cannot pretend that sin doesn't exist. He can't look at you and I and just simply go wink, wink, nod, nod, don't worry about it, I'm going to take that sin away and pretend it was never there. To do so, God would go against his own nature, his own essence of who God is is just and righteous and sin must be dealt with. God can't simply overlook sin. And, you know, give us a second chance. Oh, don't worry about it this time. I'll give you another chance. Because of God's justice, because of his righteous, his unbiased nature... You can't do that. Our sin, our rebellion against God's righteousness, our falling short of His glory, all the different ways that we can use the concept to describe the word sin, not just in the things that we do, sinful behaviours, but a sinful heart, a, a position before God, Whereby we do not meet his righteous standards, that creates, sin creates an indelible record of wrong that must be accounted for. God simply cannot tear out the page without balancing the books somehow. That's the first problem that we have to overcome when we think about John pointing towards Jesus and saying, hey, behold, look, there's the Lamb of God and he's going to take away the sins of the world. Well, how will he do that, right? Because God is just. God is righteous. He's without any bias. Sin must be dealt with. Paul tells us in the book of Romans, doesn't he? The wages of sin is death. Sin creates a payment problem. And it has to be dealt with. And that payment, the Bible makes very clear, is death. Problem number one. Problem number two, and this one, I admit, doesn't sound like much of a problem to begin with. The second problem is that while God is just And righteous and unbiased, God is also a God of compassion. So Psalm 86 and verse 15 says this, But you, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love toward us. Amen? That's good, right? Or Psalm 116, verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous, our God is compassionate. Doesn't sound like a problem, right? That God is compassionate is a good thing, isn't it? Of course it is. But it is a problem when you sit beside our first problem, When we do so, when we hold both aspects of God's nature, his absolute commitment to justice, that sin must be dealt with, and also his unswerving, unbending commitment to compassion. How can both of those things exist? We're left wondering, how can both of those be seen and experienced in the same God? Well, there's one solution. And that one solution is Jesus. All right, this series that we're, we're starting to work through, just this little short series, is really asking just one question in three different ways. Why is it necessary for Jesus to come as a human being? Why do we remember the Nativity at this time of the year where we put old cradles with hay and stars and all those symbols that we have on Christmas cards? Why why do we focus on this attention of this little baby Jesus born why was it necessary? Why couldn't God have just turned up, right? We asked that question last week. Why couldn't have God just stepped into our world with fire and wind and miraculous and, and a great declaration of his power and his authority and just saying, bow before me, I am God, right? He had every right to do so. So why in the nativity? Why Jesus coming as a little baby? Why his life of learning obedience to his parents? Why his life of growing in wisdom? Why his life of walking this world? Why the suffering? Why the hardships? Why does it matter? You think of that stable... It's pretty insignificant in so many ways. It wouldn't have been unusual in Bethlehem for there to have been a little shack, probably, a, or a cave or something attached to the side of a building where the household kept their livestock at night. It was a very common cultural practice to keep your animals safe, whether it was just one donkey or a cow or a couple of goats or whatever it is that you had. They brought them in at night, All right households brought their family animals into their household to keep them safe at night, usually in a a room attached to the side of their house or their dwelling of some sort. Or sometimes it was the lower story and the family slept on the top story. But whatever the situation was, it was not unusual for there to be a stable. It was not out of the ordinary in Bethlehem. It's a little bit different to those Christmas cards that we give each other with this you know, silhouetted manger with the star over it and the wise men that didn't probably come for another couple of years anyway, wandering down and some shepherds and it's all very sterile and all very nice and But I can tell you it was pretty ordinary at the time. From a human perspective at least, right? Pretty ordinary. It's a house, some hay, some animals and a young couple who found shelter there for the night to give birth to their little child. Last week, we focused on the fact that it was essential, absolutely essential for Jesus to come into the world this way, so that he could become like us. Like us. But this week, I want you to add to that Not only did He come to be like us, but He came for us. Now, I want you to go to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. Just pause for a moment, side note. I really want you to grab your Bibles out, if you can, and look at these words, all right? I want you to read them in your Bible, not just listen if you can. I want you to look at them. Because... Your faith, your confidence in your God needs to rest here, all right, in your Bible, in what God has to say. It is not sufficient for someone to question your faith and you to say to them, well, Chris said, my pastor said. Or this pastor that I listened to on a podcast or I saw on a really great recording of a sermon, someone said, no, your faith must rest in what God says. Not what I say, right? So read along and hear what God says in Galatians chapter 4, and I'm going to read just verses 4 and 5. When the time came to completion... God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoptions as sons. Focus on what that says. Look at the phrases in front of you. When the time of completion has come, The translation that I grew up reading says, when the fullness of time has come. There's something about God's plan of redemption, something that he was working towards, something that he was filling up over time, and it filled up. There was a completion to it, a fullness to it that Paul says when that fullness of time had come, when all the threads of God's plan of redemption finally got woven together into a marvellous tapestry, when that moment occurred, it says that he sent his son. Just so that we don't misunderstand what's happening here, God sent his son, but then it says very quickly, born of a woman. Mary, right? Born like us, but not just like us, for us. That stable, that room, that manger was far more than it seemed on the outside. Something earth shattering was taking place. God sent His Son, born of a woman, at the fullness of time. That stable was, in fact, a throne room, right? The King of Heaven rested there. Yeah, it didn't look that... It didn't look that unordinary, right? It looked... Much the same as so many other places, but it was more than it appears. I love, those of you who have heard me speak of this before, I, I love the writing of C.S. Lewis. Um, both his non-fiction work and his fiction work. And in his classic story, The Chronicles of Narnia, it's a seven-part story. If you haven't written it, uh, read it yet, are you even a Christian? I do um, no. The very, last, the very last part of that series, that seven-part series, um, is a book called The Last Battle. And um, it's, it's C.S. Lewis's way of bringing the story full circle and, and kind of finishing it. And there's a scene where there's a very small, easily overlooked stable, and that stable turns out to be a magical doorway into Aslan the lion, Aslan's true land. Now, some of you may not be familiar with that story, but you probably are familiar with the one of the early stories in that uh, seven-part series called The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, right? And You may be familiar with um, two brothers and two sisters, all of one family who were sent away during the Second World War and the Blitz was happening in London, and they were sent away to a a distant relative's home in the country, and there they discovered, in a game of hide-and-seek, a wardrobe. It was Lucy who discovered it. And Lucy went to hide in the wardrobe from her brothers and her sisters as they were playing that game, and she discovered a magical doorway into a magical country called Narnia. Now, very much like that wardrobe was a magical doorway into Narnia, in the last story, this little stable becomes a magical doorway into Aslan's true country. And as the characters in the story marvel at this, this is how their questions were answered. Yes... Says Queen Lucy, in our world too, a stable once had something inside it that was bigger than our whole world. I love those little references that Lewis weaves into his story. And we can't let the story of the nativity fool us or or we can't become beguiled by all the commercialised treatment of it at this time of the year. That little stable outside of Bethlehem once had in it something that was bigger than this entire world. God sent his son. But here's the mystery of it. While it was God who sent his son, Jesus was born of a woman. Mary, right? And not only born into a human experience, but born under the full expectations of the law. That's what Paul says in Galatians, born of a woman and born under the law. Why? Why was it so important that God send his son not just to show up and show everyone, hey, listen, the God of heaven is here in all the ways that we would expect of heaven. Why was it so important that God sent his son born under a woman and born under the law? Well, so that he would be qualified. He would be qualified to redeem those under the law as well. And so that they might receive adoptions as sons and daughters. That's what that verse tells us. He did that so that he could redeem those under the law. That's us. We are under the expectation of God's law. And Jesus came not only like us, but for us so that he could redeem us, so that we might know what it's like to call God our Father. But how? How did he do that? That question would take years' worth of preaching series and a lifetime worth of study to really try and reflect on. But let me try and summarise it in the best way that I can. And to do that, I want you to read another verse. I can't improve on how God's Word summarises it. So turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. Just one verse. If this verse could in some way encapsulate and summarise so much of the richness and truth and profound nature of the Gospel, then this is the verse that I would go to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. You got it in front of you in your Bible? I want you to read it. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let me read it again 2 Corinthians 5 21. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All right, that's the great exchange of the gospel, the great gift exchange that we even celebrate at this time of the year. For God's just nature to be satisfied. Remember, that's the first problem that we had to deal with. When John looked towards Jesus and said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, the first problem that we have to deal with is God's justice. How can sin be just taken away if God is just and must deal with it? And how can his compassion, that's our second problem, how can his compassion be made known? Well, God poured out the full measure of his righteous justice on a representative of mankind. Someone who fully and in every way represented us the very people who rebelled against him, Jesus, the perfect man, willingly, willingly absorbed all of our sin, representing all of mankind, and presents it before the Father. He who knew no sin became sin for us. On his shoulders... He represents us in the courts of heaven. And as our representative, carrying our sin, even though he never sinned himself, God was able to pronounce the guilty verdict on mankind and his justice was satisfied. Sin was dealt with the balance of God's record against us was balanced in Jesus. God's justice was satisfied. But I don't want you to miss the so that, which is halfway through that verse. Go back and look for it. Right? He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. The sentence does not end there. It could, and it would make sense, but there's a so that, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. There's the exchange, right? God takes all our sin and then He gives us all His righteousness. That's the great exchange of the gospel a true exchange. Jesus receives all our sin, absorbs all of God's wrath against sin and sin is dealt with finally. But then it says, in Jesus we receive his righteousness. Just as Jesus didn't just carry our sin, it says he became sin so we too become the righteousness of God. We don't just carry it with us. Some of you may have wondered in your life, what if I I drop his righteousness? What if I put his righteousness down? What if I lose his righteousness? You can't. In Christ, you are the righteousness of God. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. So this is all about Jesus. Jesus. Absolutely none of this would have been possible if Jesus didn't come born in a manger, born under a woman, born under the law. He had to be a man. He had to be human to carry our sin before a just God and so that we might receive God's compassion towards us. Both of those problems satisfied in Jesus. God's justice and God's compassion. Do you remember the reading that we had from last week, John chapter 1 verse 1 in the beginning was the word, we talked about that sort of abstract notion of how we could relate to God and it was just this a word, right? The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and all things were created through him. And apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created, and in him was life. And that life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and yet the darkness did not overcome it. And then I said last week, we're going to skip some verses, but I want you to reread them this morning. Verse 6 of John chapter 1. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. And he came as a witness to testify about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And so here we find ourselves again, just like we did at the beginning, with our feet standing in the cold water of the Jordan River as it rushes past, and John is pointing over our shoulder and he's saying... Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And rather than just simply an invitation for you to just wade into the waters and say, you know what, I'm going to repent and I'm going to try to do much better. I'm going to try to align my life with the gospel and with, with the law of God. Now, John is saying, hey, listen, you can try all you like, but you will fail. Yes, repent. Yes, align your life with the law of God, but behold the Lamb. And so that invitation goes out to you this morning, goes out to me this morning. I'm not sure where you're at when you walk through the door this morning or what your thoughts are about coming into Christmas, or what your, your thoughts are about the year or the last 18 months that's gone past with all its challenges, or what your hopes are for tomorrow and for the year ahead. I don't know any of those things well. But this morning, there is still the invitation that has rung out for centuries. Come. Behold the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. God's justice. God's justice is met in him. His sin, the sin that he carried towards the Father, was not his. It was yours. It was mine. He took it as a man, and it was dealt with. And God's compassion was poured out towards you in Christ. There was a great exchange. In him, you can be, you can experience the righteousness of God. And so that invitation goes out to you again today. For those of you who have experienced that already and and rejoice in that already and remember your Saviour already, it's a call to remember and to hold on to and to celebrate and to tell others of it, right? This is good news. And maybe, maybe this morning, that's the first time you've ever thought, it's ever dawned on you This is not about me trying harder this is not about me just sort of covering up my sin this is about sin being dealt with once and for all and experiencing the compassion and righteousness of God if that's you this morning then the invitation is to do that today come today even as the last song is singing in a few moments i'll sit here at the front if you would like to come and sit with me i would love to to talk with you. If there's someone here that you know that you prefer to talk to, go and talk to them. We all want to tell you the good news that Jesus has made a way. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that your justice and your compassion were met fully in Christ, that when the fullness of time had come, Jesus came, born under a woman, born under the law So that, so that you might redeem those under the law. That's us. So that we might receive the righteousness of God. And Lord, we want that because we know that we've fallen short. Help us to celebrate it. Help us to tell others of it. Help us to rest in it. And Lord, those that may not know you here this morning... Holy Spirit, will you touch their hearts in a way that opens their eyes to see Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In his name we pray. Amen.